0: Solo voy con mi pena, sola va mi condena, correré mi destino para burlar la ley, perdido en el corazón de la grande Babilón. Me di-
1: Hello and welcome to The World Isn't Flat. I'm your host, Jovan Johnson, and with me... Shara Khwani. Today we're talking to a professor and global expert on (laughs) gender and women and and, and feminism, and Professor Naila Kabir from the London School of Economics. Thank you so much for having us, Professor Kabir. We're in Professor Kabir's office. It's a privilege. Mm
2: -hmm. With a brilliant view, by the way. Yeah,
1: but uh, Professor Kabir said it's temporary. It's possibly temporary.
2: Yes, because they're going to build.
1: Well, Let's start, Professor Kabir. Um... How has the world changed in terms of issues of gender and women, for example, between, say, 50 years ago to now?
0: Well, actually, there's been huge changes, I would say. And I think, I think people who are kind of coming into university now and see that the world is very, still very problematic are not really aware of how much uh, progress has been made. Um, and I think I'd say that the most important change is the visibilization of the issue. Mm. Uh, Because I think one of the problems around gender inequality is that for so long, for many societies, it was taken as a part of the nature of things. You know, something very natural, unquestioned, this is the way it's always been. Or it was backed up by religion, and therefore how can you question religion? So I think the fact that it is acknowledged now Mm. as something that has been socially constructed, historically constructed and therefore can be historically changed is a very major uh, part of the change. I think also the way that the whole area of gender has been multiplied to include other forms of inequalities around sexuality and identity and all of that also makes it relevant to an an even larger percentage of the world's population. So I think, and that is a far more recent change. I think for a long time we did think in terms of kind of gender binary men and women. Uh, And we still think along those terms and for a lot Mm. of purposes it's useful to think in those terms. But we have also become aware that gender itself is quite a problematic category if it doesn't acknowledge all the nuances of people's sexuality, identity and so on. Mm. So that's one big thing that it's now acknowledged. You know, there was a time when we were, if you like, the lunatic fringe, you know, the feminists were When I was here as an undergraduate, it was a completely gender-free zone, the LSE. And we did gender in the streets or in the bars or, you know, you did it as a political thing. I find it very interesting that this is now my career. (laughs) My career career is now doing what I did as an activist, as a student. So. And I always used to think what we need is more mainstream people to be interested in the issues of gender. And I think a lot of economists, mainstream economists, have become interested. But of course they bring their particular take on it. Mm -hmm. And it is quite a narrow take. and It has to fit into the the models that they work with. But yes, we see in a lot of uh, disciplines across academia Mm -hmm. that gender is, is being taken up. It may still be done mainly by women. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think more and more men are getting involved and getting interested, mm-hmm. and you know we need that mm-hmm. because.
1: And so, do you think that the, the good, the the intellectual growth of it you're saying has mm-hmm. been amazing and mm-hmm. has been good and has gone into very good directions? Mm-hmm. But what's the have the the the, 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 um, the silos or the gaps mm-hmm. between? intellectual Mm -hmm. understanding Mm -hmm. and practical nuances of Mm -hmm. it how it manifests in the household for example Mm -hmm. and business Mm -hmm. places Mm -hmm. progress has been made there as well in terms of improvement
0: you know i think more progress may have been made in the rest of the world than in academia Mm. i think the silos i think you know people get trained to think in a certain way (laughs) so economists get trained to think as economists Mm -hmm. political science get trained in a certain way and after a certain age they find it quite hard to expand their mindsets or the intellectual, you know, um, Mm. apparatus to accommodate new ways of thinking. So, and recently of course with things like the Research Excellence Framework, you're really being pushed into disciplinary silos even more, publishing disciplinary journals. So gender-like development studies has always been interdisciplinary and we're in danger of losing you know that interdisciplinarity, which I think is essential to understand
2: gender. So when we talk about orthodox economics, for a yeah. very long time, I studied economics. All of you're an economist too. Oh, was, uh, economist was, 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 was uh, <laughs> Dr. Niall is a former economist. A has been economist. <laughs> <laughs> uh, economists uh, do not worry a lot of time like, like nuances or no, social no, norms no, no, and all of no, the no. stuff. The models do not uh, take into this consideration. Do you think economists need to do more, and how much have they done already, in integrating gender into the mainstream models they're talking about? And especially considering that majority of economists, globally, at least in the world, the leading economists, are men, Mm. uh, until now. And we have, uh, there's a trend, there were some articles coming up in Financial Times, and the New York Mm. Times, talking about the fact that economists have a gender problem, because Mm. they're a male-dominated field, Mm. with very few women coming. Mm. So can you reflect that a bit?
0: Yes. I think, you know, first of all, what we don't, often realise, and I think the LSE is possibly, um, you know, kind of colludes in that to some extent, is that there are many different kinds of economics. Yes. And I think somebody once said that the economists believe, mainstream economists believe in the market, in the free market, except in the market of ideas. (laughs) You know, in the market of ideas, they want a monopoly. And that is the kind of economics that has flourished as the mainstream so there are other kinds of economics, there's heterodox, as institutional and so on, and of course there's feminist economics. And I think once you move away from this very variable-focused modelling to an engagement with how economic institutions have evolved and how they, um, how they operate in the world and you know, the kind of ideologies and rules that are at the heart of these institutions, you open up space. For looking at all the things that are left out of mainstream mm. economics. So when mainstream economists take gender on, they take it on as a variable. Mm. It's a dummy variable that they introduce into their models, you know. But, you know, you can't capture the world in as variables. You know, there have to be histories behind the variables, and you have to understand what each of those variables means. So yes, have your variable, but like indicators, you know, each of them have evolved around a history and taken the form they have because of a certain reason.
1: Mm. So what would you say are some of the main challenges that confront us now moving forward?
0: confront us in what or
1: what what are some of the challenges in some of these issues because yeah. for example the, if, if, we, if, we, if we are to how, how do you shape maybe the development policies that are being shaped mm-hmm. at international mm-hmm. development mm-hmm. level mm-hmm. developing countries for example mm-hmm. how, what challenges do you think they have well, to address you know,
0: i feel like particularly in development economics or whatever they call the new development economics're <laughs> going in the opposite direction because i would have thought there was a period perhaps in the 1990s when let us say organizations like DFID, mm-hmm. were very, very open, maybe still are, to the idea of not just interdisciplinarity, but methodological pluralism. Mm-hmm. So, And I actually like quantitative research, you know, I, I enjoy it, but I feel incomplete. Mm-hmm. Similarly, with qualitative research, I really like to have a few numbers to help me ground. So I think what's happening in development economics, or new development economics, is this whole trend towards randomized control trials. <laughs> Yeah. Which allows economists to, if you like, pass judgment or you know assessments about the world, but having been to the country. You know they can actually do an experiment by remote control, mm-hmm. arm's length, and say, well, you know, uh, you deworm children in Africa and mm-hmm. the education will improve, or you, um, you know, give the latest is that you you, know, you give people in. Uh, very poor parts of Bangladesh enough money for a bus ride mm-hmm. so that they can migrate and then you can say that their livelihoods have improved. Well, you know, to me, if that's all it took, the cost of a bus ride yes. to improve living, mean, how can you possibly believe that? You know, So there's something wrong with your trial. Mm-hmm. There's something wrong with an experiment. That comes up with that kind of an answer.
2: Is it also the specific method of RCTs which we it are is we, we, exactly. we're, we're going through what uh, some people call RCT revolution that everything needs to be randomized to become you know, generally valid? There are some
0: very um, eminent economists that have huge problems with RCT and they go from Angus Deaton to Koshi Basu to Martin Ravallion to you know people who are mainstream. Land Pritchett you know having yeah. smart guy and I think their point is you cannot randomize everything, and if you're looking to randomization to tell you about history and development, you have a very narrow agenda. You know, I think somebody said that you know Vietnam grew from you know quite a low level to quite middle income status.
2: Seven percent GDP growth.
0: Without ever doing an RCT, <laughs> it didn't do one single RCT. Yeah. You know, so I think. Um, yeah, I think it yeah. is a problem.
1: Let's just it a little bit, the Me Too movement that mm. has unfolded mm. in the United mm. States, um, it's this, uh, which, which has really um, seen the fall of very powerful men Absolutely. in business, media, yeah. theatre and, and so on. Why has it not taken off in developing countries, poor countries right? In poor countries? Yeah. It's
0: taken off in India. I think there has been a movement by academics and by students of naming professors, Who they have accused of harassment Uh, and also you have to you know in 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 our parts of the world don't know about Pakistan so much but certainly in in India Mm -hmm. the feminist activism around violence has been ongoing since the 70s it has been the single most important thread in pakistan bangladesh and india mm-hmm. there are names of women who were raped and murdered and they punctuate our history mm-hmm. you know you have them in pakistan from Uktar Amai yes. and all of those you have it in, in bangladesh from yasmin and you know and then you have it in india from jyoti pandey singh and you know there are names of women who are the the kind of the history of patriarchy in these countries so we didn't need a Me Too movement per se, mm. because there has been activism around it. I think what the Me Too movement has done, which perhaps has not happened that much in South Asia or in, I don't know. About Caribbean, Latin America. Caribbean. Yeah, mm-hmm. Is it's pinpointed the relationship between harassment and work opportunity. You know, up till now, a lot of the harassment was like strangers or busses yeah, and, you know, uh, the elders allowing rape to happen whatever it is mm-hmm. but from my point of view because I'm very interested in the workplace in markets and so on, I think the fact that it has highlighted the extent to which women's careers are blighted by the not in in South Asia I found in the work I'm doing it's not even the experience of sexual harassment it's the fear of it mm-hmm. because if you are harassed it is your fault you know, like they say, she was wearing something. Yes. She asked for it. she, yeah. yes. she invited. So it. in South Asia, a woman who gets harassed is somehow
1: guilty. her fault. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, she is. She has brought it upon herself. So it was quite hard for people to talk about this, but it has curtailed women's life chances. I did a blog on that, by the way. Uh, I tried to make it about South Asia, but they cut it down to Bangladesh. Mm-hmm. But it, it's it's it's
2: yeah, and that that's very important. This thing, the Me Too, or the activism around mm. this has been happening in South Asia, at least, for a very mm. long time. Mm. It might not be cashed up by no. the sort of international no. media in the same no. manner, Social but, media. But, but it's but, still uh, stays uh, on. Uh,
0: feminist activism around violence has been an ongoing, Strong right reform. from the uh, rape of a tribal woman, I, mean, I think, Mathura rape case in the 1970s. As I said, there are names, and they are the chapters. Mm-hmm. In fact, a friend of mine from Pakistan called Aisha Khan has just written history of the feminist movement in Pakistan following these incidents of violence against women. Yes.
1: How do you how do you did you notice that for most of these men a lot of them in America for example they've come out most of them who've been who've been brought down in the MeToo movement their first reaction is I didn't mm-hmm. or my interpretation of of, of already, what, had happened, of, or what yes. happened at the time was different and so on. Very few have mm-hmm. come out to say i I'm sorry, yeah. As their yeah. first as their yeah. first thing. Yeah. But in light of dozens of women
0: mm-hmm. making mm-hmm. the
1: claims, mm-hmm. why do you think even those who would have seen what happened before still come with that kind of reaction? Mm-hmm. You know, well. I
0: think somewhere they're probably telling the truth, in the sense that until people were willing to speak out they may have thought it was fine what they were doing. And I think a lot of women were afraid to speak out because of what might happen to their jobs, their raises, and so on. Mm. The other interesting thing, I don't know if you've noticed, is this issue of serial offenders. (laughs) Right, you get one woman speaks out, and about 50, you know, it's, there are guys, and I'm sure they're here as well, there are guys that do it almost
2: like a routine.
0: Like a routine, mm-hmm. yeah, and no one has called him out on it. So, I have yet to see a guy who's been accused by just one woman. <laughs> <laughs> Except that poor comedian in America. Aziz Ansari. So far, only one. Oh. And even that was a bit that was, of, yeah. iffy kind of accusation, I think. Um, but otherwise, mm-hmm. you know, Bill Cosby, Jimmy Savile, Harvey, Weinstein, of course, yes, of course, yes, yes. you know, and even Kevin Spacey, mm-hmm. you know, so there's something about certain kinds of men, I mean, I'm sure men are potentially, I don't know, but there seems to be certain kinds of men mm-hmm. that are compelled to harass women. You know, and you kind of want to study them. <laughs> you know, what is it about you that thinks you are kind
2: Perhaps of perhaps a, the perhaps a randomized controlled trial there. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but coming back to developing countries, uh, when you talk about, so in Pakistan at least and uh, so perhaps broader South Asia there's a movement of a lot of people coming in talking about gender a lot and mm. uh, violence against women centres being mm. created throughout the country. But a lot of these are institutionalised into social norms. And you talk about honour or you talk mm. about these women are, are honour, we cannot allow them to happen this and this yeah. and that. Yeah. So. Th- these are these are very difficult challenges to talk they about. Are. Even the most educated people, the most liberal families, yeah, yeah. Uh, who will come to this social social pressure and say that we can't we sort of uh, we can't allow our women to sort of have certain employment chances, or mm, mm. if there's a rape, the woman yeah. would be one yeah. who's accused, yeah. stuff like that. How do you counter this? This sounds like a very difficult yes. thing to counter, yes. especially in conservative societies like this.
0: Well, first of all, you have to know that you know Bangladesh has seen a lot of changes. Yes and it was a very conservative society. It was a very poor society, and I think poverty sometimes breaks down norms more rapidly than wealth, you know, wealth you can afford to keep people uh, segregated and so on. I think, up till now, I have not heard the governments in these countries really take a stand, you know, really say it is simply not acceptable for men in this society who talk about honour to behave in this way with women in society. Women should be free to go on the bus, they should be free to walk on the streets. So there's a question of the rule of law, mm-hmm. you know, to being enforced as a matter of, you know, this is these are criminal actions. But I don't hear that. And I don't hear a lot of political leaders, including some of the women leaders, mm-hmm. really take a strong stand. They've taken a great stand on education, you know, educate the girls, and that happens. But of course a lot of girls don't complete their education, or don't go on to higher education because of harassment. So harassment is there, blocking your life chances. So I would like to see, one thing, I don't know how true it is in Pakistan, but I find it very true in Bangladesh, is somehow for all its faults, people listen to the government. If the government says something, it carries a weight Mm -hmm. that NGOs and civil society do not have. So if a government, if a political leader stood up and said, you know, in this society, and it's almost better if it was a man, you know, a male leader saying Mm -hmm. it, because that is the kind of society we have. So I think you could make a difference. You know, you could have campaigns and so on. Um, that started to try and change people's mindset. And the honor issue, I don't blame parents worrying about the honor of their daughters if they know that going outside is going to expose their daughters to this kind of harassment. Supposing those daughters were able to go on a bus and know that no one is going to touch them or grope them or leer at them, perhaps those parents' arguments would be less, um, you know, justified. Valid. Yeah, yeah, that's justified.
1: I recently saw you commented on Twitter for example the other day um, about the university the, the UK's universal care system when yes, essentially yeah, yeah. essentially uh, people uh, the kind of uh, the, the
0: universal credit
1: universal credit thank yes, you very much yes. that's what that's what it was what exactly yeah. is that about and and how do you not how does that not address what you call the the, 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 the inequities in mm. household distribution for example Well you
0: know for a long time I think sometime in the about well, 70s or 80s they decided that some of the tax credit that you went to poorer families was not going to be paid to the man, it was going to be paid to the woman in the house. In Britain, here in Britain. In, Britain. Mm-hmm. in the UK. And it was called the move from the wallet to the purse.
2: Oh. And the government, I believe,
0: right? Under Maggie Teachers? Just... You know, I can't remember which government it was, but yeah. it, it happened. Hmm. And somebody did a natural experiment, oh. you know, to see it rolling out, and found that when the money went from the wallet to the purse, it was used far more on children and on, you know, in in the direction of children. Now, that actually echoes a finding that we find across the world, which troubles feminists because it makes women look altruistic, but I'm afraid, you know, as mothers, I think women tend to take their children's... uh, uh, That's a good thing. Well, I don't know, people don't like to generalize about women, and if all these women are looking altruistic, they get very (laughs) troubled. So, but that is one of the most robust findings, That you know. Now what has happened now with this universal tax credit or whatever they call it is all the money goes to the men. It's going back to the man. And it's leaving women in many of these households back, particularly if they're not earning without any income of their own. And that article was talking about evidence of violence increasing in as a, as a result of this. The thing about that is, you know, I think Sylvia Woolby or someone also showed how the incidence of violence against women all other crimes seem to level out of down. Mm-hmm. went up after the austerity packages came in. You know, mm-hmm. so you saw a real rise in, in domestic violence oh. um, after you know, the kind of austerity that lead, pushes households into the, up against the wall. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Would you have expected some change given the fact that uh, it's a female prime minister leading, um, no. leading? No, no. Why wouldn't you?
0: Well, because I think, that, you know, um, there is nothing inherently virtuous or feminist about women you know mm-hmm. more women are feminists but not all women are feminists that's mm-hmm. just more of them and we hope that a lot of feminists are men you know and I would imagine that with your generation and younger generation
1: that's that interesting be because true. I'm from Jamaica and we had our first and only female prime minister between some years ago and she retired from politics um, I think last year oh, I what mean. Uh, Portia Simpson Miller, okay,
0: nice. and
1: when she left, and there were, you know, the whole debate about all legacy mm-hmm. of the only female primates in a post-colonial society that is, mm-hmm. of course, uh, mm-hmm. patriarchal and, mm-hmm. and so on, and people, were, and one of the concerns raised was, oh well, what? How did she stamp her class on on, on women on family and family and, mm-hmm. and so on? Should women be should they should you be focusing on something like that if you if you've risen up? But is there is is there an expectation?
0: You know, I heard this statement once about Obama. You know, Obama is not a president for the black people no. of America. Obama is a president for everybody in the United States. Yeah. So a woman also is not just a prime minister for women; she's a prime minister for everybody. But you will get, you know, there are very enlightened women leaders like Michelle Bachelet and so on, who do take and take an interest and and do very good things. Mm-hmm. You know, but I don't expect it of a woman just because she's a woman. Mm-hmm. You know, I just think, well, she's, she's like anybody else. You, know? mm. you get some good ones and then you get a whole lot.
2: And there's an <laughs> argument that people make that women politicians, especially leaders, have to act more masculine yes. in order to, yes,
0: to prove themselves. To prove themselves, yeah. themselves yeah. and uh, so They have to out, mm, outperform men as you know, tough people and so yeah. on. Mm-hmm. Or not be seen to be leaning towards women in many ways. I mean, having, again, having said that, you know, Khalid Azir was mm-hmm. one of the people who introduced secondary school stipend for girls in Bangladesh. Nobody objected. Somehow, this thing around education is a very acceptable way to intervene.
2: Yes.
0: You know, I don't think. Well, it
2: has taken also time, and has, so, social movements yes. have yes. around that.
0: Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. And there's a um, PhD done by one of my uh, co-supervisor, Naomi Hussein. And she looked at uh, uh, the elite perceptions about poverty, and so she looked at elite perceptions in uh, in he Bangladesh. Loves elite stuff. He loves elite stuff. <laughs> okay. Well, maybe he's one of them. I'm I'm, I'm definitely not. <laughs> so she at, and one of the things that elites in Bangladesh are very comfortable with is education. You know, there and this is perhaps different from India because of caste. Hmm. So a lot of elite castes in India were very hostile to the idea of. Dalits. in fact they weren't allowed to read for a write time, for a long right, time. Right, right. yes so we've never had that in Bangladesh so you can do a lot of interventions on, edu- on educational things it's um you know some of the other issues that's problematic.
1: where would you be shocked or possibly surprised if a woman leader emerges for that country for which country for any country in the world where would you, which country if it was surprising for which
2: country
0: saudi arabia
2: why oh yeah i would be surprised <laughs> <laughs> Well, they've only just been getting
0: hot. And I don't know if they're allowed to drive yet.
2: Uh, well, from June onwards. So yeah, next,
0: exactly. I mean, you know. So the next month, progress. <laughs> yes,
2: I, I said that they have joined the 20th century after yeah. all. yes. Yeah.
0: Yes, absolutely. They're taking their baby steps. These are brilliant baby steps. I feel
2: very optimistic about Pakistan and India and Bangladesh. When you look at Saudi Arabia and Iran, you're like, oh, okay, still better than a lot of them. Yes. But uh, let's talk about a bit about households and because we have to conclude then. Uh, How important are for economists and uh, anyone who is academics to understand these household relationships Mm -hmm. when they talk about gender equality Mm -hmm. because, for instance, one of the facts which is very prominent in Pakistan is Mm -hmm. that majority of uh, medical school graduates are women, Mm -hmm. but majority of them do not join the workforce because they get married and there's this work, uh, there's this marriage market of Mm -hmm. if it's a doctor woman that she gets married very quickly and Mm -hmm. they don't join it. So we have a shortage of doctors, now the government Mm -hmm. is saying we Mm -hmm. must put a quota to restrict women to go to medical school Mm -hmm. because Mm. we are spending money and they're not joining the workforce. Mm. These are sort of these household Mm. internal uh, sort of relationships and how important it is to understand that. Well,
0: you know, one of the contributions of feminist economics was to look at what we call the total economy. So the total economy is not just the market economy. It is all of that economy that produces value of various kinds. Mm. Some of that value is exchange value, some of it is subsistence, some of it is use value and so on. And one of the most important things that are produced in households are people. And those people are going to be tomorrow's workers, citizens and parents. And if you have neglected the household and allowed it to continue in ways that are, let us say, dysfunctional or abusive, etc., you are going to produce a generation of very dysfunctional (laughs) citizens, workers and parents. Mm. So we know that children who grow up in violent households, are likely to be perpetrators or victims of violence. You know, that is like the altruism of mothers. It is one of those cross cultural facts. You grow up and you see your mother being beaten. If you're a boy, you're a perpetrator. If you're a girl, you're. You know, it, it's, of course, you could break that. I mean, I mean, but it seems to be. More likely. Yes, much more likely. Now, if you think that the household is where children first learn their values and first learn who they are as. In terms of their gender, their sexuality, but also as people in their society. They first learn the values of solidarity, citizenship, you know, caring about others. If you just leave it to function any old way, and we know it often functions very badly, you're not doing very well for your society. You mm-hmm. know, if you stymie the aspirations of girls and boys from a very early age, mm-hmm. then you're not doing very well for your society. So I think what economists seem to do is to take it as given. You know, it's the given aspect. We don't have to worry about it if it continues to reproduce itself. But we also know it's not reproducing itself in a very... Um, well, it's not reproducing itself. You know, fertility rate has gone down yeah. in all kinds of countries, and yeah. women are not marrying and not having babies. And, all that. and That is because there's a limit to how much people are willing to... Put up with that, this. Yes. So I think... Um, I don't think economists have the tools to really understand households. I mean, they can do the bargaining and the cooperative models and all that. But if you had an interdisciplinary approach to households, to look at psychology and sociology and law, etc., then you might be able to make policies that sort of allowed, you know, kind of virtuous households to flourish and turn, you know, vicious households mm-hmm. into virtuous ones, you see know what I mean, you know, yeah. sort of intervene in ways that took care of the kind of desperation that makes villains out of people, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, I once, I don't know if I mentioned this in the lecture, but I once went did an interview in a very remote part of northern Punjab in Pakistan, oh. and I talked to these tribal people, and they said, oh, they said, uh, you know all the Dakats, the bandits that come out of this area? He said, that's us we are the bandits and we are the the Dakats and we are and what he was saying is we have nothing else you know we are very poor we have no stake in the society mm-hmm. so we will become your criminals so i think you know the household we call it a family is very important as the first site of your socialization the first site of where you get your identity the first place where your future is being forged you know, the childhood you have is critical too. And there, of course, parents, mothers, and fathers.
1: And on that note, thank you very much, Professor Neela Cabir. this okay. has been wonderful.
0: Great, just a kick to both of you. Great. Solo voy con mi pena, sola va mi condena. Correré mi destino, para burlar la ley. Perdido en el corazón, de la grande Babilón.